You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today, really excited to bring you Joel Stevenson, CEO of Yesware. And interestingly enough, Yesware I've had on what was one of the earlier guests, Matt Bellows, who was one of the original co-founders. So he was on about seven years ago. And today we got Joel, who is now the CEO of Yesware, which by the way, is an all-in-one sales software that gives you everything you need to prospect, schedule meetings, and follow up right from your inbox. 47 million bucks raised, acquired a bunch of different companies. And Joel, I really would love to hear your story. I mean, moving from SBP of sales, marketing to COO to CEO. Let's start off with your story and then we'll just jump around. Yeah, it's been sort of a long and winding road. But in the early days, I actually started my career in sales, a big telecom company a long time ago. And I sort of stayed in tech, sort of through the dot-com boom, and then sort of the, the subsequent bust and sort of the great recession. I ended up deciding to go back to business school and get my MBA. So I did that and tried to kind of reinvent myself as a little bit more of a quantitative person versus always being in customer-facing roles. So then I went and did consulting for a little while. That was always just going to be a means to an end, then got back into startups in a supply chain startup in Chicago. And then that eventually led me to this little company in Boston called csnstores.com that was doing a lot of cool stuff in e-commerce, which eventually became this thing called Wayfair that now a lot of people know about. And so I was there for seven and a half years and was fortunate to do a bunch of different jobs there. I ran a bunch of microsites and we had that model. I ran our UK business for a bit built out FP&A while we were going public. And then the last thing I did there, which is kind of what led me to Yesware, was it sort of started this B2B unit as a side project in my first job and I had the chance to take it back over again after it had gotten a little bit larger. And we grew that to be you know several hundred million dollar business unit inside of Wayfair. And what was cool about that was we spent a lot of time using technology to sort of help with sales productivity and apply to that kind of sales productivity problem. And I really got excited about this space. And when I eventually decided that I was going to leave Wayfair because while it's a great company and I liked a lot of people that I was working with, it was just getting too big. And I just realized my passion was earlier stage. And so as I said about looking for stuff, Yesware was one of the tools that sort of came up on the list when we were doing our searches for productivity enhancers. So started talking to that team and we actually shared an investor between the two companies as well. And so I ended up making the move over to Yesware. Yeah, first running sales and marketing. And then we raised around a couple of years ago. And as part of that, I became CEO. Got it. And so can you just to give people a refresher, how does Yesware work exactly? And how do you guys charge so people get an idea of the business model? Yeah, Yesware is a sales productivity tool that lives right in your inbox. And so it's something that you can go to our website, download a trial and start using in both Gmail and Outlook. And the simplest thing it does is it tracks emails. So if you send somebody an email, it'll, it'll notify you if it gets opened. And then we layer on top of that template so you can see which types of messaging works. We series of communications. We have a meeting scheduler tool to sort of eliminate the back and forth. And then for bigger companies, a lot of times they're interested in taking all the passive activity that a sales team generates and synchronizing that back into Salesforce. So we do that as well. And we've got a few different plans from somebody that's just sort of interested in very basic functionality is 15 a month and then up to our enterprise plan, which includes all the sort of Salesforce stuff is 55 annually or 80 a month. Got it. That's awesome. I'm looking at my notes here. So it actually, the, the last Yesware interview was in 2014. So six years ago, when I spoke with Matt, you guys were at about 500K users. So what kind of numbers can you share around the business today? Yeah, well, it's interesting because from the last time you spoke to him to now, at that point, we had a freemium model. 
And we ended up going away from freemium. This was before I joined, but we ended up moving away from the freemium model and just went strictly to a paid user type of model. So what I'll say is we're like kind of in the mid tens of thousands of users and it didn't really change much. We had a decent number of people convert from freemium when we ended it, but the thinking was that versus like a free CRM, like a HubSpot or something like that, where you're investing tons of data, like you weren't investing the same amount of data in Yesware. And so a lot of people just used it for free tracking, like they were never going to pay for it. And so in some ways it made who we were serving, the go-to-market more simple in that sense, I would say. That makes a lot of sense because I'm doing back-to-back podcasts. The last one was CMO of Zenefits. They moved mm-hmm. away from freemium as well. I mean, they have a lot of changes for them, but it yeah. just... At a certain point, you have to think about just because everyone talks about freemium or product-like growth, it doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense for you. If your time to value for HubSpot is, yeah, it's going to take some time to put in the data, then yeah, like you want to keep them in and, and they're going to be locked in. But for you guys, the time to value is like immediate. So yeah. it makes sense to charge for it. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I think talking to a lot of people, um, a lot of people now, I mean, especially ones that are like, oh, I'm looking to invest in businesses or buy other businesses. They're interested in hiring great CEOs. So you're basically, I mean, you came into Yesware and then you grew into your role. So what do you think people need to do if they're trying to home grow a potential leader of the company? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that worked, we had a really good CEO transition and I don't think that's actually that common. I don't have any data on that. There's just a lot of anecdotal stories from my investors and others that say that like a lot of times it doesn't go that well. And I think one of the reasons that this went, well, one is because Matthew is just, he's got 20 plus years of investment in mindfulness and sitting meditation, which allows him to deal with things in a fundamentally more mature and in different way. But also there was a really good cultural fit between me and Matthew and me and the rest of the executive team. Now I've tried to steer the culture in some slightly different ways. We've tried to keep a lot of the core things that made Yesware great, but there was a few things that kind of needed to get added to the mix as well. But everybody has been really accepting of that change. And there was time for everybody to get to know me and know who I was and know what I was about. And that all of a sudden it wasn't this crazy person that was coming in and was going to all of a sudden change everything. Like I had already started to change some things that people could understand what my thinking was and what the reasoning was. And so when it came time to actually make the move, it wasn't, I don't think that big of a surprise to folks. And it was very well received probably in the way that Matthew handled it and delivered it, but then also just the way that there were just a lot of good synergies there to begin with. So what I'm hearing then is because you're part of the company already, it's like, hey guys, we're going to do this transition. I guess maybe you can add a little more color to that. And how long did that whole process take? Yeah, Matthew and I had been planning on it for a while before we had told a lot of people about it. And part of the timing ended up being contingent on the funding round because it sort of made sense for that to go together. Like, hey, we got a new round of funding. We're going to take things in a slightly different direction and you sort of already know Joel and you can trust that he's going to be able to handle this. And so part of it was making sure that the investors were comfortable with it. Part of it was making sure that the executive team was comfortable with it. And then I think everybody just feeling like it was the right thing to do. I even remember this guy, Jerry Colonna, who I think you know, is my executive coach. And he was sort of coaching me and Matthew at the same time. And I remember at one point we were all sitting in the room together and we were all kind of talking about it. And I remember Jerry sort of saying to me, like, it's time to take your seat, take your seat, you're ready. And for me, that was a really powerful statement because even though I'd had a lot of success in my career, like things are really different when you're a CEO, like much more than what I was expecting. You know, I had run a multi-million dollar division in a public company, like I thought I sort of knew, but there was a lot that I didn't know. And I had some trepidation going in, but 
after we worked it out, it was fine. That's awesome. And so I guess for kind of to your point earlier, people don't want you coming in and changing a bunch of things. So how did you, I guess, what do they call that change management? how did you start influencing change without freaking people out? Yeah. Well, I think we're fortunate that we have a pretty engineering driven culture or data in market. Even the traditional marketing that we've done has always been very direct response and, uh, and data driven. And so there was a fundamental belief in data in the company. And so a lot of what I was able to do was just really come in and express things from a very bottoms up data driven approach and say, well, here's why I think all these things. It's because I analyzed this and I see that and I found out about this, this, and this. And so when you can lay out a case to a bunch of very smart analytical people in that way, I think it makes the arguments much more easily than just sort of coming in and saying like, I've got this grand vision about how we're going to change the world. And yeah, I mean, I, there's a place for that too. And uh, particularly, I think in very early stage when you have no data that you have to rely on that. We actually had a lot of data. And so it was really just a matter of trying to understand what was important, packaging it up in a way that was accessible to folks, and then people got it. So I'm hearing communication and logic. And so this thing is Matt's baby, and then you're transitioning. Did Matt just completely disappear from the picture once the transition happened, or was he still kind of in the shadows? Yeah, I think this was, again, the benefit of having thought about this for a while and having been able to work out a plan. So Matthew is the chairman of the board, so he continues to be on the board. And in the first round of changes, he took sort of a business development role. There were a couple of key relationships that we were working on. And so we focused him on that because he's great at it and he had the interest in doing that. And we really did not have really any issues with shadow leadership or anything like that. Like Matthew really wanted me to lead the company and he did not want to get in the way of that. It was very particular to not do that. But also if I wanted his opinion, he would offer it and we could talk openly about whatever was going on. Then eventually Matthew, he's sort of a died in the wool entrepreneur at this point. He sort of caught the bug and he started a new company now called Bodeswell, which is in sort of the making wealth management type analytics accessible to everybody which is a sort of a personal problem that he saw in the market and wanted to go solve just like Yesware. And so he's doing that now, but we remain in very close contact and he still is in some of the Slack channels and stuff. And it's been a great transition. Got it. That's cool. How often do you talk to him? Is it like a once a week thing? Um, it varies, I think, you know, depending on what's going on with the business. And we'll usually talk a little bit more kind of in the run up to the board meeting or if there's anything sort of big going on inside the company. But I send out a weekly email to the whole company, which he gets. And so a lot of times he'll have comments on that and we'll talk a little bit. That's awesome. And the final thing I want to talk about, you talked about having an executive coach. And I've talked to Matt about this. I mean, there's a great company out there called Reboot. I guess my question would be, did you guys have coaches for each of your executives? How did that work? Because it just seems like an unfair advantage to me to have that in place. Yeah. Matthew was a big believer in this. And so we've traditionally had access to coaching for a lot of people inside of the company. And we've continued to do that. More recently, we've used a company called Valor, which is a Boston-based startup, which is really focused on pot mindset, you know, with some of the Carol Dweck and some of the research around like mindset and positivity. And we've had quite a number of the team working with that group as well. We traditionally believe that just like an elite athlete needs additional people helping them, that you know, to, that our team wants additional help and coaching, we, we try to make that available for folks. You said the name was Valor? Yep. That's a good name. I'm just making some more notes for our post call. But thank you for that. So let's talk about Yes World. Let's talk about sales. I mean, May 28th, as of this recording, 2020. What is going on from a sales perspective based on the data that you guys are seeing? So we talked about this pre-show, but what I've seen is salespeople are still just doing 
the same behavior that they've done before, which is just pounding maybe even harder now, more volume. So I guess yeah. what are you seeing? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. And I think you'd probably know this better than anybody. A lot of times you got to think about outbound motions, particularly high volume outbound motions is like just another marketing channel. And if you're going from no volume to some volume, you probably get a decent push. But like eventually all these channels get, it's like the early days of Facebook where you could just sort of print money and then everybody sort of piled in. You couldn't do that anymore. I think we're seeing a lot of the same types of things over time with a high volume outbound motion in sales teams. And it's probably only gotten worse now because everybody's pipeline has dried up. And so you may still have an outbound team, although maybe you've scaled it back, but account executives are probably more and more concerned about generating their own pipeline. And the easy thing to do is just to blast out a bunch of emails. But and again, like you might get a short-term hit from that, but it's hard to believe that you're going to generate really good pipeline over a long period of time with that. And the interesting thing now is that if you can get through to somebody, they're probably willing to spend more time with you. We've seen a big uptake in our training and people are spending more time with it and they're really spending more time to learn the system. I think that's true even of external discovery. And so I think now is a better time than ever to really invest in quality and really help an executive or anybody that you're trying to sell to understand why it's such a valuable business proposition. And I think you can write longer, more complicated emails now than you maybe could have before if they're really compelling because people might take the time to look at that or spend some more time on your website or spend some more time with the deck or or whatever it is. And are you seeing that with the data in your system where it's like, yeah, longer form actually does legit perform better in terms of response rates, open rates? Yeah, well, we have this little tool in Yesor called Response Insights, where what we did was we analyzed several hundred thousand templates that people put out and looked at subject length and words and readability index and all these sorts of things and tried to find the sweet spot for a lot of that stuff. And this data was actually pre-COVID, and we should do another look at this to see, but pre-COVID, I think the sweet spot was something around what ends up being, for most people, about three paragraphs, relatively short paragraphs. And I, I bet it's gone up now, but we should test that with the data. So I'll look at that and we'll, we'll see if we can get an answer back. That'd be a great marketing piece. Yeah, that'd be yeah. killer. That would be fascinating. Is there any other data that you can share that you think would be helpful for salespeople right now? Because what I'm hearing from you is basically take a little more time instead of sending volume, go for quality, spend more time. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think in SaaS, we've probably been onto this for a long period of time, but I do occasionally run across people in other industries that have not really embraced video as a way to conduct meetings. And I would really encourage people to do that. And there's a lot of reps that are out there that we're used to spending a lot of time visiting people in person. And, you know, my brother's a great example of this. He had a big hardware company and I think his quote is $30 million or something. And he spends a lot of time with senior executives. And I was talking to him the other day and he's like, I'm kind of trying to figure out what to do with my time. And so this is a great time, I think, for people that have had their entire motion disruption to really look at how can you spend your time most efficiently? Can you take advantage of some productivity tools like Yesware or others that are in the market to make yourself more efficient so you can spend more time really trying to write those really awesome introductions or voicemails or, or intros to folks to get on their radar and then really invest in the follow-up? You should sort of never lose a deal from an unforced follow-up error, right? And now's a better time than ever to make sure that your follow-up is really, really good, on point, and specific and timely. Got it. Love that. So working towards wrapping up here, uh, a couple more questions for you. What is your favorite business tool that's not called Yesware? I've been using Microsoft to do a lot lately. That's the old wonder list. And I've found that to be working pretty well for me. There's another one that's sort of like it's tangential to business, but I think it matters, which is 
this company called Whoop. They make a strap, this strap here. and oh, the sleep um, one. Yeah, I've been using that. I think their core market is more like elite athletes, which they've got a lot of good comparison data, which very clearly shows I'm not an elite athlete. But the sleep tracking has been really helpful to me, particularly in these times to sort of make sure I'm taking care of my body and getting the benefits of good and proper sleep. So that's been great. I've really gotten a lot of value out of that. Love that. How about your favorite business book? Well, I think sticking on the to-do theme, I would say David Allen's Getting Things Done is a classic and is sort of the gift that keeps on giving. I've been like back to back and you're the second person in today's batch that said GTD. So guys, you can Google it. I have had David Allen on the podcast before, Growth Everywhere, David Allen, you'll find that. And then final question for you, is there any publication or podcast that you frequently follow? Well, I mean, you guys do a great job with your podcast. I also like Reboot, which we mentioned earlier, whereas you guys spend a lot of time focused on productivity and ways that you can drive your business and also drive your sort of personal productivity. That's a lot about how do you manage your emotional state and emotional intelligence. And particularly in these times, there's a lot of wisdom there. Love it. Well, Joel, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Probably the best way is on LinkedIn, I'd say. It's slash Joel Stevenson GM. Probably the best way to hit me up. All right. Easy enough. Joel, thanks so much for doing this. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Eric. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.